Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. I am honored to be joined by my friend and board-certified emergency medicine physician, Chris Sidford. Chris, thank you for carving out time to join me. Hey, Molly, it is a pleasure and an honor to speak to you today. Well, to start, let me share an epiphany I had about emergency medicine, which like many, I used to associate with an emergency room, which is actually much more of a department now. In my naivete, I actually thought any doctor in the emergency ward was by definition an emergency medicine physician. So it's only 10 years ago, I realized that is not the case. There might be interns, residents, OBGYN folks, right? They're not necessarily fully equipped. They're doctors. Um, So I just wanted to share when we hear board certified emergency medicine physician, these are a very rare breed. Extremely rigorous training, um, and to me, extraordinary in your medical breadth and depth, combined with the whole personal composure to guide uh, folks through and provide what might be life-saving care. So kudos to you, Chris. Um, You've operated in so many settings, well beyond hospitals and clinics, uh, to include the Navy, supporting NATO troops in the Arctic Circle, many remote locations. Uh, Would you share uh, for us some of those experiences and help listeners appreciate really the wide range of contexts you've operated in? Sure, Molly. Thank you very much. So you're you're right that that when you go into emergency room, it used to be probably 20, 25 years ago that you would get whatever physician was on call and probably they would, they would go to the, to the staff and say, this is your two or three nights a month that you could end up there. And about 30 years ago, they started training people in particularly emergency medicine. And it's now a four-year program. And in most of the good size emergency rooms and certainly teaching hospitals now, you would, you would run into an emergency room trained physician and so you have everything, surgery, medicine, obstetrics, pediatrics, orthopedics, and so on, so that you have a good idea how do you get started with most of the emergencies that come through the door and then learn how to pass it off to, to other people. And unfortunately, as we're, we're seeing with the COVID um, pandemic is because so many hospitals are overwhelmed, um, New York City, for example, they're, they're going back to, to filling it with whoever can show up, whatever medical student is qualified to finish a bit early or whatever resident. So we're, we're a bit back to that, but emergency medicine is still sort of the take all comers and, and sort through and, and figure out who's there. And probably the best skill that you have in that group is you're good at a mess. You're good with um, being adaptive and, and trying to sort whatever bring whatever kind of patient load comes your way. And I got started in the um, in the late '80s at Boston City Hospital, which was the knife and gun club of Boston, and. Unfortunately, that distinction was, you know, a half dozen shootings and a dozen stabbings a night. And that was, you know, great training in one way, but also a, sort of an awful experience to sort of watch what happens and sort of the AIDS um, um, peak and so on. And I've, I've been in a variety of different places. As you mentioned, um, I paid back a Navy scholarship and was sent to help open up an underground nuclear chemical and biological proof 
hospital on the island of Sicily, which the Navy and the, and the Sicilians or Mafia built, which was a very different experience. And met some great, you know, great people in the military. There are a lot of dedicated people like there are in EMS. And from there, I got sent to places like the Arctic Circle. And, you know, they said, here you go. You get to go to the Arctic Circle. There's going to be all the heads of NATO for a, for a war games exercise. You get two corpsmen and here's a guard shack. And we want you to be prepared in case there's any real disaster with, with the uh, NATO celebrities and so on. So, you, you know, you learn to do a lot of different things and, and try to plan what could be coming your way with whatever resources you have. And then I was on the faculty at Brown in, um, for you know, four or five years, and then I was at Lay Clinic for another 10 years. And now I've been running a, a telemedicine practice for you know, international travelers, private security teams, and philanthropists doing very the same thing, trying to figure out what kind of problems people will run into, and then assessing what kind of issues they have around them and how do you, how do you figure out a solution. That's amazing. I, we will come back to the career part of this, uh, but let's start off. You know, this pandemic has very abruptly turned life sideways, if not completely upside down for so many. Um, I think folks are wondering, you know, what are the right actions to take, keep ourselves and our families really safe? Um, and we're not going to dive into the, the virus itself or debate any treatments, but, you know, we'd really be grateful for your thoughts, Chris, on, you know, based on medical considerations, you know, how can folks think, how can they act um, in these uh, particular coming weeks and months ahead? Well, there's, there's a couple different answers to that. I mean, I think everybody's being pushed into a, a time in history we had no idea about in terms of how severe and how much it would affect our lives. But there, there are some things you can do to help protect and inform and in some ways calm yourself down. And, and some of them are quite simple, um, starting with the hand washing. If, if you haven't seen a video or watched a proper technique for 20 seconds of hand washing, it's really important and it's probably your best defense. Um, they actually did some studies in the emergency room trying to figure out who were contagious and why were doctors carrying or were they carrying illnesses to other patients? And even people who made a living washing their hands in a way were never quite up to 20 seconds. And the other thing they figured out is that we never considered, for example, a stethoscope as part of the problem. And so in this day and age, um, people's phones and keys are another issue to consider and keep clean. But hand washing is, is the key. And then the other is that keeping your hands from your face that's still the second connection for the virus to get and make us sick. It has to get from our hands where we pick up droplets from people who cough onto surfaces, door handles, and so on. That's how we get sick. And that's, those are the, really the two big keys on preventing it. And the third one, which comes up a lot and we, we've kind of sort of misinformation about is what is social distancing and, and what's it for? And I think it's gotten a little bit of, of, um, sort of misunderstanding that it is not a preventive measure. It's a control measure to decrease the amount of spread of the illness, but it's not a safe place to be. It means that if you have to go to the grocery store, which you do and shop, then six feet is the safe distance where you pass people briefly and go about your business and your shopping. It doesn't mean to have a social distancing party and to have cocktails. And as challenging that is for all of us, it really means that staying in your house, um, to, I hate to quote, uh, quote Samuel Jackson, but you know he's got a nice uh, video out there that says, stay the you know, 
bleep home. And it's true. While we're riding this out, if you don't have to be outside, do not go outside. Wow. I want to focus on that because I will tell you that I was on the side of six feet, fine, six feet, fine. And what I'm hearing you is just like, if you have to be around people, you have to, you have no choice, keep it six feet apart. It's really not ideal to be um, really close to people, period. (laughs) That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's true. And it's not the, you know, let's stop at six feet, you know, have a cocktail and have a long conversation. It's, it's unfortunately move on and do your own business and, and be safe until we really get a sense of where, where this is peaking, where it's spreading. And right now you have to consider that everybody, you know, is contagious. That's the only way to, to get through this. Yeah, I appreciate that. I know nobody has a crystal ball on this. If you had to put out a guesstimate, do you have any sense in the next month what it might look like? And again, I know that nobody really knows. Well, there's some things that, that we can watch. Um, there's, there's unfortunately news of, of more spread and more peaks that have yet to, to really show how serious they're going to be in places like Mississippi and Florida, and even now some of the rural towns that, that the virus has spread to, that's the next wave that we sort of need to keep an eye on because that'll tell us how long this may, or give us an idea how long this may run. Um, they're getting some really interesting information. One is, do we, do we know if we're protected once we've been sick? And as you shared with me, places like Stanford are developing tests that can tell whether you've developed antibodies. In other words, if you got sick and if you had a mild case, are you now protected for a year or two years? Those are really important um, information to figure out how long this is going to run and whether there'll be another side for us to, to be able to, to safely venture out and know that we're protected. And there's also some very interesting aggressive research and finances towards developing a vaccine. So I'm, I'm expecting it's going to be another probably four to eight weeks of very challenging times. And I'd like to think, although I don't know that in the early to middle summer, we'll see some start a return to some normal near normal behavior where we're starting to venture out. We're starting to travel because we have more information about who's safe, where the illness has been and what ways might protect us. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. I was talking with my own family. I think we were, we were like, okay, it's is the long haul and we have to be prepared to stay more in than we might. And, uh, you know, I think separately, I think as part of a challenge for a lot of folks is on the emotional psychological side. And uh, I'm just going to encourage folks to do what you need to do for your own self self-care to try to keep yourself sane. I know there's a lot of parents who are, they're teaching, they're trying to do their work, they're parenting, they're cooking, and it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot, lot for folks. So um, I appreciate that. Let's segue a little bit because um, whether folks are in business or academia or whatever sector, I get a lot of questions um, of folks asking me about evolving their own careers. I think Many folks might consider being a doctor relatively narrow. You know, you've been so impressive because you've branched out, you know, worked in a lot of contexts and created new opportunities. So do you share a little bit about, you know, as your own journey, how you evaluated what you were doing, um, you know, how you took some steps maybe that weren't so traditional? Well, 
You're right. Uh, healthcare is is notoriously um, stiff in terms of you pick a career, you pick a path. Here are the various educational milestones. Here's your internship. Here's your residency. And so much effort is placed into getting to that specialty. It is really rare to, to, to go back and say, what else can I do or where can I go? And I'd like to say that I you know, had this great idea and maybe it's time to step away from some of the real challenges and brutality of working in the ER for decades. But some of it is just, you know, you get to a point and whether you know it or not, it's time to move on. It's time to evolve. And some of that was some, some thinking, some imagination, and some of it was real, you know, this is just awful and, and I, I need to find a different way. So I'd like to say it was really some brilliant thinking it wasn't. Some of it was self-sacrifice and, and being challenged to find and think about new, new areas. And then it, there seemed to be more of a, a relaxed idea, as you said, who, who and how, what else can you think of? Where, what are the things that you're good at that might evolve what you were trained, but now where can you take those? And then how do you connect with people and follow you know, how do you follow people that you admire and what can you learn from them about how they connect or how they carry on business? And as you know, I mean, healthcare, we, we really have no business training, nor should we in, in some sense, but you need to then evolve to how do you develop a service and a, a fee structure and so on? And how do you connect with patients and clients? And so it's, it's been a really um, trying to listen to, in some ways, an inner voice or the advice of other people. And, and, you know, it's almost like when you're starting to dance, you know, copy the people you admire and pick up those talents and those skills. That's fantastic. I, um, you know, my mother was a nurse, so I'm very, very warm to the medical profession and the notion of service, the notion of a real calling to serve others, um, I, I think is something, it's a real, it's a wonderful thing about folks like you who are there to really care for people's health. And I think that that, you know, I think in other sectors where it's not so life and death, if folks took a bit of that notion of serving, you know, before selling, if you will, that would really help um, folks find the ways where they can use their gifts and, um, and it really just help other people. So let's do a little bit of a segue here now. My favorite part, you're um, amazing doctor, <laughs> you're saving lives, but I imagine there may be a time or a type of situation or conversation that is even a little challenging for you, Chris. So what might that be? Well, there, there's two. One's a, one's a conversation that, that we... You know, you have on a daily, if not hourly basis in the emergency room. And it is, how do you deliver bad news? And how do you tell people that things that you would never want to hear, but somebody has to? And, and I think that the, the solution was always, well, I hope that there is someone there when it's my turn or my family member who is going to tell them the same things I, I want to tell somebody. What is it that I need to know? And, and now a more sort of timely question that I deal with more on a day-to-day basis is how do I advise people about something like social distancing? And even within my family, I'm trying to explain to them what's the risk factor for people who are coming into your home. 
And if we want to be close as a family or visit, that means we all have to be really careful about who else is in that circle. And if you can't control who that person is and aren't completely aware of who's entering your house or your life, then you're putting yourself at risk. And for me, this has brought up some really challenging conversations with family members and even clients about what seems like an interrogation as to who are you letting into your house? Who are you letting into your life? And are you aware of who they are? And if you don't, it means we can't get together until this is all over. Wow. So essential. And I appreciate the, the real-timeness of this um, and raising this bad news, particularly around um, this, this people that are good people, but we don't know where they've been. So a thought here is, and I, I know, in fact, I had a one of my clients asked me about this because their neighbor who actually lives in a part of their home and is a rental, you know, they were observing was just not being as safe as they were comfortable with. And, and this a similar sort of um, fear about how to raise this, you know, in a good way. So the first thing always is within our own self is trying to do our best to not, you know, it may be edgy. We might be annoyed. We can't believe that they don't get it. And those are all valid for sure. Um, they're not necessarily very useful for the other person. So that ability to try to bring our most compassionate self, which I think as a, as a physician, that's a very natural state for you to, to, to think of it as a patient, right? You would always be very compassionate with a patient. So just but have that in your mind as you're um, trying to phrase something. They're not trying to do wrong things. They don't have the same level of education or understanding for what bad could look like. Um, that's not their fault, but that might be an opportunity thinking of it as an education thing. So I think part of it is starting at the top in terms of a shared vision saying, you know, gosh, uh, we, I feel very personally responsible. We all feel responsible for each other in ensuring that we all stay really, really safe. And so focusing on what we do share together and say part of the reality, and this is the education piece for you, is that, you know, when people, you know, are, are, when we bring people in that we don't know where they've been, it's just a, 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 it introduces a, a much greater level of risk. It's actually not something we can know. So we, we do need to control what we need to control. And I know none of us, none of us would ever want to have done something inadvertently where we hurt another one of us here. I know that that, so that's a bit of shared, you know, mutual accountability to each other. And then saying, you know, this is not at all to be taken personally by who anyone is. It's just that we don't really have control. We don't really know. People may not remember what happened to them. And as we've all seen at all ages, this can really have negative effects. So based on what I've just shared, you know, what do we think we can do? How can we support each other and try to keep it on a neutral, we're in it together, all part of the problem, all part of the solution feeling versus here I am, the, the doctor who knows everything trying to tell you what to do or the father who wants you to not do X, Y, or Z. So I'll pause there. How does that land for you, Chris? I think that's, you know, that's always very helpful, you know, listening to you and, and you're sort of breaking down the various components of, of challenging conversations. You know, the, the idea of trying to present, you know, what bad could look like is, is really important. And, and that idea also that, you know, you're trying to share some information and not trying to imply uh, a lack of caring, um, I think is, is really important and, and really helpful. 
Super. So I appreciate your time. I know you have a lot of people to go help. Do you have a particular top takeaway from our chat today? You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's part of the same conversations that I've listened to with your uh, webinars and, and segments is that there's always a component whenever there's a challenge, you are always, or I am always part of it, whether I want to feel um, wronged or somehow not appreciated, there's always a component that I can address first and is an important part of really any solution. So I, I've always appreciated that in, in, your, uh, in your conversations and advice. Well, I appreciate you, Chris, and uh, my gratitude to you and all those in the medical profession who are really helping care for others. Uh, I am here for you. You know how to reach me if I can be of help. Um, and I really thank you for joining me and being part of the solution. Thank you very much, Molly. It's a pleasure. Okay, two reminders. My short videos are another way I show you how to say it skillfully, and they're available for you at sayitskillfully.com. And if today you do have a scenario you'd like to talk through with me live, please call in, and the number is 866-472-5790, or internationally you can call Collect, and that's country code 1-480-398-3352. I'm pleased now to welcome Mitali from across the Atlantic. Mitali, thanks for joining me today. Hi, Molly. How thanks are you for doing? Me. Very good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on your show. Well, I'm grateful you're joining me. And I imagine there's uh, something top of mind for you. So let's get right to it. Yeah, sure. So one of the things... Uh, Molly, and uh, I'm a business coach here. I work with a lot of business leaders. And uh, I see that you know, right now in the current crisis, they are torn between financial performance of the company and well-being of their teams. And most of these leaders are experiencing their first of its kind crisis of this magnitude. Um, in many cases, they have to make tough decisions to let them let their team members go as well. And I was wondering if you can help us uh, in in terms of having this delicate conversation with their teams while understanding that it will impact them both personally and financially. Yes, thank you for bringing this uh, up. Many folks uh, hourly are dealing with this and, uh, and there's no science or perfect script for it, Mitali. So I think it's something for leaders, um, you know, particularly there's a lot of, um, my experiences, there's a lot of feeling of responsibility and there's a lot of sense of uh, the leader potentially feeling bad or what have you. And I, I just want the leaders out there, to, you're human, you're not perfect, you're doing what you can. Um, and to take some time for them to just figure out where are they? Um, because I think it's not about you. Obviously, it's about the others, but there is a, a self-care part of this. And I, I really encourage the leaders to not feel bad. That's very normal. Um, the folks that are in your inner circle, um, surround yourself with people who can help you kind of um, normalize what's going on for you. Because I think it's really important to, to be grounded as much as one can be in order to then be in service to others. And I think that's a very important uh, step and to not feel like you're supposed to be Superman, you know, with a cape or Wonder Woman um, and, and find a perfect way. Um, I think 
once you've gotten a sense of yourself, it's like putting yourself in your other people's shoes and, you know, folks knowing where your teams are, I think it is very important because that is very um, critical to, uh, to establishing the right kind of messaging. Um, and I would say as a starting point, the idea of transparency, you know, we've heard shared reality, of course, Mitali. So, you know, just getting out the facts that need to be out so that everybody's dealing with a level playing field in terms of the information. And, that ability to communicate early and often. And I think we hear that a lot. For leaders, many folks, I think, feel like they need to have answers. And this is not what it's about necessarily. It is about the connection. Um, so, you know, let's just say early on, early-ish on, if you're not quite sure where it's going down, it's not about not saying anything. It is about, hey, we're assessing the situation. We think here's a date where we'll have a meeting. It's about just being in contact, finding out where people are, um, being there for them at the personal level, not to be discounted for leaders. I think many folks are a little bit afraid. I don't have the answer, so then I'm not going to communicate, and we would not mm. want to err on that side. So does that make sense, that first piece? I think sometimes people are trying to get this perfect you know, show, and, and you may not have it yet, and that's okay. Now, then when we get to this transparency, you know, it – it is when, and the teams that I've worked with, the senior leaders, this is the time to really show your own vulnerability, to be very authentic with each other and saying we need to really understand what's going on with this business. Um, what is our current financial state, uh, renting scenarios, things are changing. So creating um, a playbook within the senior team to, to bring your best information together to figure out where we're all at. Um, I think it's very important for senior teams to be aligned on the messages and where we're at and, um, and manage that part first. I have seen some teams that perhaps have not had the level of trust they wish they had on their senior teams, so it's not the ideal way to go into battle. And for the senior most leaders, you know, and I, I shared this, um, Marshall had provided some information, it's never too late saying, you know what, I may not have created as open an environment as we need now, but it's not too late and we're gonna do it now. And I apologize if I haven't been someone who's been able to take some of the bad news. I appreciate, I pre sorry if I haven't um, been willing to hear it and I'm gonna do my best going forward. So I do wanna encourage folks, it's never too late. And now is the time where you need that senior team to really rally. So I'll just pause for a moment. Does mm -hmm. that make sense in terms of a tee up, Mitali? Great. So then I think in terms of planning, and um, I had a, a CEO I thought did a great setup for what was going on. We've been running the business. We're very lean. And you, you're not positive. You can't forecast the future, but you can come into it with a level of the personal compassion. So you're human. Um, and also the sense of calm and confidence that we know we're going to weather the storm because we're well prepared. Um, and well, I, we can't promise you anything. What we're going to do is say we are in it together. Um, we're not going to keep secrets from you. Any questions you have are fair game. And it's just creating a sense of we're in it together. And I think that feeling um, for some folks in smaller companies, it is a family feel. If that's the case, uh, I heard a CEO say that, you know, we think of you as family. And so having people realize that uh, every single individual is valued. Um, and, you know, in terms of if you have to make cuts and things like that, the I saw a really great slide and the CEO was like, look, at the first thing is I take a cut. 
and then the leaders take a cut. And they were very clear that we will share in this pain and that we are absolutely going to do everything we can to keep everybody in the boat. At the same time, their message was we need to have an ongoing uh, entity. We need to be here standing. And so to, uh, in this case, uh, for example, uh, spreading out the cash, making sure that work, helping people appreciate here's all the ways that we thought about it. And then here's how you can be part of the solution. So people can feel empowered to take whatever actions the senior team thinks that they can take to be able to shore up the business, run as lean as you can. And then, you know, if layoffs are something that have to happen, it is about, you know, with, again, the best insights of the senior team to try to make that um, a one a one time, right? We don't want to go through layers. Um, and once you figure it out, the ability to work through um, it with speed. So, you know, it's a couple, three days. And you transparency, you have a plan. And, and this ability to tell people it's not personal, um, in many cases, you know, I work with companies, they had to furlough, people could qualify for unemployment. So when you share the full picture and that the, manu- the moves that you're making are really what you feel is best for the individuals too, because there are some social services and things that they can avail themselves of, I think that's been great. And I have seen people take that tough news and say, we get it. You know, we're better off this way. We're standing ready. I have companies that are actually thinking about, since people aren't working, are there things that they might be able to do to stay engaged so that when it comes back and it will come back that, you know, people will be able and, and want to be rehired and, and to restart. So just, I just painted a lot right there, Matai. Let's, let's have a little conversation mm-hmm. and how that's landing for you and maybe what some of you're hearing from your clients. Yeah, this is, this is wonderful. Yeah. No, that's, that's actually, it is a difficult time and a difficult situation for the leaders, but just breaking it down the way you said, I think that makes the conversation much easier to deliver. So, yeah. Thank you, Molly. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's never, you know, I think also normalizing for the leaders, it's not, um, there's, there's, again, there's no science on it. Being real and and being upfront about the emotions and it, it can be really hard. Um, but to having the framework of we've got to, we have to lean down the business so that the business can stay viable, right? It's the number one thing because I want to hire you all back, right? And so people okay. understanding that, um, not making it personal, the communications. I have also seen some things, you know, for the folks who are kind of remaining, you, know, you may have said we have furlough or layoff folks, but there's a, a, a remaining crew. You want to really empower them, show the love for them. And this notion of co-creating has never been a better time. Right? Everyone feels like I'm mm. engaged, anything I can do. Um, and, you know, to, to the extent that you can be as generous, um, paying it forward, you know, is one of our favorite terms, of course. And, mm. you know, what can we do for the community? What are some things that, mm. what are some of the gifts of this organization um, that maybe position it well to serve the community in ways that, folks can feel better because, you know, it's easy to feel like, oh, look at the stuff we've lost. Uh, when if you take a step back, there's a lot to be grateful for and that there are a lot of folks who don't have, you know, as much as you. And so I think that that energy can help people appreciate, you know, yeah, this is tough, but boy, there's others who have it a lot tougher. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, absolutely. And totally agree with you. It's, it is it is just going back to the real human being and, um, 
having all those emotions and just being real with everyone around you. So brilliant. Yes. Yeah. So let me ask you, because I think at a personal level, you know, working with your clients, what is the hardest thing for you in supporting them? I'm curious, um, you know, what some of the things so that I are think, most challenging yeah, for it, you. It's quite similar to what they face with their team members. So just keeping that positive leadership and not just positive, but realistically positive re- leadership to to make sure that they are well supported and can go through this time and crisis and still be real and follow all other um, I mean go through it in a in and you know just be authentic with their leadership is important to guide them through it because while they understand the environment around them has completely changed and uh, they, there's almost a 360 degree impact so not just the business on the family side and the personal side so it's an almost a perfect storm from all angles. So making sure that they are able to weather the storm is something which I feel more challenged about and, uh, and you know, just helping them and support them through this. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. I've, I had heard a saying, and it was basically, it's not what we lose, it's who we become in these kinds of great challenges. And I do think, you know, encouraging folks, you've got the answers within, you know your business, no one knows it better, you know, everything's on the table um, and, and, you know, the encouraging kind of the creativity and out of the box. Um, oftentimes, that's just not something people are explicitly asked to do. And this is the time where that's, those are the, the some, some of the Absolutely. greatest ideas, right, will come out of that. Uh, you've been a gem to join me. Do you have a top takeaway before we wrap, Mitali? Yeah, I think uh, as always, Molly, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours, so always follow you through other channels and through your show. Uh, I think just saying it skillfully, getting, having a balanced view to a situation is something I always take away, just like in this talk. So thank you so much for that. That's fantastic. It's terrific. You know how to reach me, and uh, please let me know if I can be of more help. And I appreciate your calling in, and most of all, thank you, Mitali, for being part of the solution. Thank you so much, Molly. Take care. Bye-bye. I am very pleased now to introduce my next caller, Yoon Hee from Minneapolis. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Molly. Thank you so much for having me in your show. So, Yunhi, uh, what conversation, what situation can I help you with today? Yes, uh, I need help with why is that? Is it because my ESL language skill or how I talk to people? But either way, I sometimes does not uh, get through my point across. Doesn't matter how much I tried. So I tend to explain things a lot. Uh, people sometimes get really wrong impression on where I'm coming from. Or sometimes they say, you are very blunt and you hurt my feelings or I misunderstand them because when they say, oh, you're blonde, you're very force right and you're forceful and I don't take that as compliment. So my feelings hurt and then my confidence level goes down. Um, because I am an ESL speaker, every time I speak English, 
if somebody say anything a little bit negative, my confidence goes down. So over the years, I try really be careful what I say, but doesn't matter what I do, it feels like people take me wrong way. They misunderstand what I say. I'm just like lost because I don't know how to communicate with people. Well, thank you for sharing this, and I can I can feel it in you. It's it's a hard thing, and obviously you're you want you mean well. You want to come across the right way, and for the English as a second language as ESL, I'm very empathetic, Yunhee, because I don't know if you know, I actually didn't speak any English until I was five, and when I went to school for the entire for the entire kindergarten and first grade, straight C's, I was just terrified. I was absolutely terrified of all the other kids and I was terrified of saying anything. Um, and I felt, I think, pretty bad as a kid. So I really relate to this. So, yeah. So um, we have that in common. Say a little bit more to me about um, when people are giving you, I mean, I don't know if it's been with just this job. Has it been every job that you, you've had? Can you give me a little bit of context, you know, for, for how long this has been going on for you and in what environments? Yes. So, um, for the first time I had a career change. Now I work for big corporations before that I was uh, in a very different industry. So, uh, not to, not to mention I moved here, um, late twenties. So, it was really hard for me to adapt. It's kind of like, it's hard to teach new trick or dog. Um, so I was trying really hard to adapt corporation, um, US corporation cultures and so on. So if I give them a compliment or if I give them a, like some nice comment, somehow they take that as, oh, what are you trying to say? I'm not, pretty enough or if I say oh you look very pretty today sometimes they're like oh what are you trying to say <laughs> I don't know it's uh. like every single time no matter what I say if at the meeting I say something um, it's kind of like oh you say too much or they say you're just too blonde you need to polish a little or I don't know it's just like everywhere I go I've been thinking about this for actually about three years now. And it feels like I really, really need a serious communication lesson. I, I really hear you. I appreciate this. So let me just, just to offer for you, I get that it's not working really great and we're going to help you get on a different path. Give yourself a little bit of break right now. Show a little self-compassion. You're not a bad person, Yunhee. You're not trying to be a bad communicator. I think your English is fantastic. So I will give you that positive input. You know, I, so understand every people are having different experiences um, and they are what they are, but let's just work with that and try not to be your worst enemy, I call it. Try not to be too hard on yourself, okay? Because that's not going to help you. As you mentioned, you, you want to be more confident. You want to be, you know, feeling more positive. Um, so try, try to keep the negative talk to yourself to a minimum. And I know that can be hard. Um, I do want to point out the corporate environments. There are some pretty strong corporate cultures. And for folks who are interviewing, whenever you're interviewing someplace, I'm 
always really keen for people to appreciate how interviewing is a two-way street. Obviously, you want the the potential um, uh, organization to appreciate what you can do and your experience, et cetera. You also want to interview them so you can determine that that environment and the way they work is also a fit for you. So, you know, it's not a good or better, wrong, right or wrong. Sometimes some environments are just a pure fit thing and that's okay, right? You, you want to be able to be proactive in understanding the environment that's going to help you be your best and then putting yourself in that kind of environment. And if that isn't where you are, sometimes that is call for change and that is great, right? It's better to know. So I just want to offer that as don't feel like every role, just like every relationship doesn't have to be fabulous. You're not going to be best friends, right? You, you, it may or may not work. So I guess from a, a corporate standpoint, you know, you're in this group right now. And are you pretty much working, would you say it's like a smallish group, 10, 10, 5, 10 people, or is it a big work group? Just help me understand the universe of people you interact with. Okay, I'm interacting with um, about 20 people. Um, so we are, I am in uh, human resources and we do a lot of handle with a lot of employee relation issues. Mm-hmm. So when project comes up, it feels like everybody's undermining right away because my accent or how I approach them or when they use idioms, things like that, I don't understand. It kind of impacting me in my personal level of professionalism. It's really hard. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So starting out, I think acknowledging this and you may may have a few colleagues you're closer with. Uh, I don't know to what extent your boss has or hasn't chatted with you about this. Has your boss had a conversation with you about this at all? Um, no, not really, because I don't want to be uh, put myself in the victim's position because Absolutely. there's so many people are, you know, say... Um, it's almost like if I say uh, English is my second language, it's kind of put you in different category. Mm-hmm. So they kind of treat you a little bit different, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So if I make mistake, oh, because it's your second language, that's why. And I don't want those like uh, underhand kind of help. <laughs> so I don't try to talk about this. Okay. So I think just, I think part of this is being in good relationship with yourself about the situation and um, you kind of can't have it both ways from the standpoint of if it's not, and let's just say it's not your strongest suit English right now, right? And that it might be something that you want to work on. But, you know, I think part of it is you have a perception perhaps that folks are out there with, and it may or may not be right, um, but mm-hmm. it's it's actually far harder to change people's perception, you and he, than it is actually to, to make a change ourselves. So in order for you to be successful in a change, people have to be willing and able to change their perceptions of you. And I say that because it's, it's, it, you really need them. You really do need them. And part of that then is about acknowledging, hey, here's something that I'm working on. It's not a negative. We all have things we're working on. And it's part of our development, our growth. In this case, yours is, you know, you grew up not speaking English, so it's an opportunity to amp that up. 
Okay. It may or may not be, to be honest with you, the core issue because people may be using that as, as, uh, as something else going on. Again, I'm not there, but I just want to offer that, you know, it's without having open conversation, you, he, you can't really tell where people are. So oh. I think the first thing is, can you find a group of people that you feel like you really trust and they trust you? Okay. And, and it may be with your boss and it, and it's, and I think this is, you've heard in the previous shows, it's about your energy. So it is about, I get that it's frustrating. I frick, I get it. And I know you've been working at it a long time and it's not how you want. At the same time, if you come in to the conversation down and, you know, like Eeyore and, you know, <laughs> unhappy, that's probably not going to set a great tone. You can say, look, I, I want to be very proactive. I really like working here. I want to, to be able to contribute more. And I'd love to have an an open-hearted, very honest conversation and share a bit about my experience of working with members of the team, not making any of them wrong or bad, and how I, how I feel um, that environment affects me and then what I'd like to be able to do. So just, just to get out in the open that this is going on for you, your, you know, your English is really great as far as I can tell. So it's not as if people couldn't understand you and say, you know, I, I understand sometimes I'm not, perhaps my grammar is not perfect or I don't understand idioms. I'd really love the chance to learn. Uh, I think sometimes how I say it, it's not really received well. You know, what are you noticing? So, and then and, and, and you look at your boss saying, I, I want to help, you know, make you as successful as you can. I really appreciate you partnering with me to help me navigate this. It's been about three years and I, you know, I just, I feel like I need to do something, um, take this, approach this in a different way. Okay. So I'll pause for a moment. How does that land for you? Um, I think that what you're telling me is that I think you're right is instead of mumbling through myself, I need to open up a little bit with the positive intent and speak to my managers or boss about it. And then maybe come up with a better solution, maybe understand where they're coming from or they can understand where I'm coming from. So this might be just a whole big giant ball of misunderstanding that I create. Maybe they might not think that way. So maybe I need to open up a little bit and then speaking to them honestly and let them know that this is how I feel and if there's something that I can do improve more. They can help me and I need the help. So great. That's fantastic. Let me just add to that in some situations where you, you may say, you know, you look, that's a great outfit that you have. And if someone comes back to you and know that you can only control your side of it, you and he, you have positive intent. You're saying a genuine compliment. So that's all you can do. You can control how someone responds and don't make yourself accountable for that right? So it's too much pressure. They may snap back, what? You know, what do you mean? I don't normally look good. And so just have compassion in that moment. That person may not be very secure. Okay. They don't feel great about themselves. That is not a reflection of you. That's something going on for them. So be compassionate. Own it. Gosh, I'm sorry if I at all, you know, came across um, that way. I did not at all uh, mean that you don't normally look fantastic. It's just in particular, I really like this outfit. And smile and look them in the eye 
say, is that okay? I really don't want you to be upset. I, I actually was hoping that, you know, you would take that in a positive way. That's really what I meant. That's all you can do is explain it, right? They may not take it. That's okay. Same thing. Now someone comes back, you're very blunt. And the first thing is, you know, thank you for letting me know that's how I came across to you, which may be hard, but you want to ask why, what did I do? How come it's blunt? Say, you know, thank you for letting me know that that came across blunt for you. I want you to know I didn't mean it that way. Could you help me out? Because, you know, we have different experiences. What, what about that came across as blunt to you? Because it's a learning thing. They may need to realize that your tone of voice, they may interpret as blunt, but that's not what you mean. So it's on both sides of the party to kind of take a step back. So again, I'll pause. How's that landing for you? Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I exactly say just like what you say. What? What do you mean? What did I say? (laughs) But I think that, yeah, you kind of like hit the nail um, so maybe next time I will use your approach and said, oh, maybe I will say perhaps, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be that way, but what the, what part of what I say to you was too blunt or something like that. So I can ask them, I can learn from it. And that's a great way to lead. I want to learn from that. So I'm going to ask you, please, what about how I said that came across as blunt to you? Neutral. Right. No, it's not bad. Just neutral. Cause that, you know, when you do that kind of tone, again, people aren't going to be feeling they're defensive. You're like, I really want to learn. You know, if it may help, gosh, if you were in my shoes, you know, I think you'd probably appreciate if people would help you understand, um, you know, how you came across to them. Okay. Okay. And so I'm going to just really offer for you as you go into it. And I appreciate where you're coming from. And it's been a while that's going on. You know, do your best to be positive. You're light, you're smiling, and you're confident. You know your stuff. So come forth with that energy because that's the energy you'd love to be met with as opposed to I'm uncertain. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. This is bad, you know? And, and I get, I get, I'm not trying, I'm not asking you to be disingenuous, but do your best to realize, look at, you have a lot of value to add. You're a hard worker. You know, you want to, you want to do your best and, and contribute your most and you do everything you can and hopefully it goes well. And if it doesn't, you then have no regrets, right? You went out there and said, look at, I tried my best. And if this isn't really meant to be, then that's the reality. Yeah. Okay. Cause they, they love me for what I do and they love my work, but it feels like they love my paper, but they don't love me. <laughs> so, great. Okay. That's really great way to articulate it. So this is so awesome because you've gotten positive reinforcement on your work, right? So this is, I think I'm, I'm feeling a bit of an epiphany. So is there any last takeaway you'd like to share before we wrap? Yeah, I feel like um, overall what I learned today is be more confident and be more open and uh, don't stuck on your own perception and just approach people with a smile and with the positive intent. Then maybe I will not have any of those drama of my own. <laughs> that is brilliant. My friend, I am cheering for you. You know how to reach me. I will look forward to when you loop back. Um, and if I can help you further, you let me know. Uh, most of all, thank you for being part of the solution, Yuhi. You take good care. Oh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Have a great day.
Well, as we close, I um, have to say I am in awe of all of you. There's a lot of complexity out there, and I am seeing people uh, in ways big and small step up to it and work with it and own it, and that is very inspiring for me. Um, So I thought to close, my thought for the week is really something around the simplicity. Uh, Maybe it's simple. I think it can be easy, and it's something to help ground yourself and ground others. Uh, So be present. Meet people where they are, not where you wish they'd be, so that they feel heard and they feel seen. And be hope. Well, we don't know when this time of uncertainty and discomfort shall pass. We will be better for it with new opportunities to emerge. Be present and be hope. And I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 